0: On Aviation Podcast. All right, friends, welcome back to another episode of the On Aviation Podcast. I'm your host, Orlando Spencer. With me, as usual, is my co-host, Daniel Enzioka. And today, what we want to talk about is the... 2023 economic crisis, which is here, and the aviation industry. And before I get started, I just want to turn it over to Daniel for a quick preamble on this topic today. Daniel.
1: Thanks, Orlando. Um, this week, uh, I'm looking to get to understand uh, the aviation industry um, and the 2023 economic crisis. I'm looking forward to get to know how the um, crisis itself is going to be affecting uh, the aviation, uh, the aviation industry, and I want to see how it's going to affect the jobs of individuals uh, working in aviation as well. Back to Orlando.
0: Yeah, that's very important because <clears throat> what's happening out there now is that you, it's the the, the economic crisis manifests in itself in certain places, and that brings us to our first topic. You know, you know what what are we seeing regarding this current economic crisis now one of the things that you guys are out there are seeing is this entire thing about this banking collapse right uh banks are collapsing first we had silicon valley now first first republic some other banks are are teetering as well rest assured that most of these banks are having a problem because the first thing of these banks is that they in a nutshell let us explain to you real quick what's really happening now when interest rates are low the banks buy treasury bonds low interest rates to offset the deposits that are in their un, in their accounts. And people put their deposits into the bank. And what tends to happen is that the bank needs to kind okay, of lend that money out, do something with the money. But because of regulation, how the, the Federal Reserve uh, check with these banks and make sure that they're keeping up with standards, if they have government bonds, then they're seen as a more safe investment. The problem with these investments, the, the banks buy all these investments, had them on their balance sheet, but they buy these investments when there are you know 0.5 percent, 1.5 percent for a say for example a 30 year treasury or a 10 year you know treasury, and they have them on the balance sheet. But then to fight inflation, the Federal Reserve raise interest rates, and when they raise interest rates, uh, the new bonds that are being issued, Federal Reserve uh, the, the treasury bonds that are rather the treasury bonds that are being issued are more attractive than the interest rates you're getting at your bank. And that's one of the reasons why these long-term treasuries that the banks load up on, on their balance sheet is a reason why in our bank accounts at the regular bank, we get such low interest rates. You see, something you see 0.01%, something you see, you know, 0.1% interest rate in your bank account, or you're saving a regular savings account. Now, when people see that and they have a good amount of money in the bank, they want to make sure that they can offset some of that inflation or they get better rates by buying treasury. So they take their money out and they put in a money market fund to get the 4.5 or the 5% we're at now, close to 5% we're at now. And then what that does, that draw money out of the bank. But the bank generally don't have this money. The bank use the money to buy the treasury bonds or you give out loans, right? So the bank don't have this money because, remember, the bank operate in fractional reserve. And the bank operate in fractional reserve, the bank lends out most of the money you give them. They don't really have the money in the bank account. In fact, since 2020, since the pandemic, the Federal Reserve made a rule where the bank don't have don't have to have any reserve. So every money you put in the bank, in the bank you lend all of it out. So when you want it, they can use the, the, the uh, what you call the repo market, where they you know repurchase agreement, where they have they borrow money from each other to slush money around to make sure they can pay their folks. So that's what's happening with the banks. They they borrow money long term. The customers are not getting good rates. The Federal Reserve raise rates, so the money market rates are better. So people are pulling their money out of the bank to put in the money market, and the banks just don't have the money to 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 honor the the withdrawal of these deposits. So that's what's really happening, right? So that's what's happening in a nutshell. Uh, so this banking crisis, which people say it's a banking crisis, but it's an economic crisis, right? So the economic crisis generally start with the, the finance side of things because that's where you know it's like two thousand eight. The other place that we're seeing stuff like this happening is you know, the tech sector, the massive layoffs. And we talked about this before in our articles where we talk about how these massive amount of malinvestments went into the tech sector. Huge amount of investment. Investment that would not have been made if interest rates weren't low. So as interest rates are pushed down by, by, by central banks, it causes companies to say, okay, lots of, lots of uh, interest rates, lots of, lots of free money, uh, not free money, but low cost borrowing, let's borrow, let's expand. Let's grow the business. Let's you know, do more. Let's hire people. And what's happening is that as interest rates rise, two things happen. One, the companies can't get that easy money no more. Secondly, the loans that they are, sometimes it's loans, sometimes it's venture capital money, but a lot of time it's loans. A lot of these money uh, loans are on uh, variable interest rates. So their interest rates are going up when they refinance these loans, these debt their refinance at a higher interest rate, they can't keep up, so they have to cut costs. How do they normally cut costs? These way to lay off some people that are not needed. So you see the layoffs coming. And it's happening across the board. It's not just tech, it's happening in media, it's happening in uh, retail, which we're gonna talk about here real quick as well. It's happened all over the place. Another place we've seen this economic crisis you know, manifest itself is in commercial property. But let's talk a little bit about retail first since I mentioned that. Retail is, a couple of things happen with retail one the during the pandemic and lockdowns they had some you know supply chain issues and so that's a problem but the main thing right now is inflation and the, the cost of doing business is is high now while inflation may have the rate of increase may have come down a little bit it's still increasing so even if it increased by 4.9 percent year over year last month that doesn't make a difference because it had increased You know over five over six percent or some at one point was nine percent and that's all cumulative so the businesses are feeling a pinch there are other things happening with business such as whatever cities they're operating sometimes you know the theft are high and so they have to close down shop and you know some business just not doing well because of the current environment we see uh you know bed bath and beyond they've been having problems for a very long time anyway and so a lot of these things we, we talked about this before where uh walmart is closing stores A lot of, you know, the Northwest, a lot of Northwest area, they're not just not making money. We see where a lot of other stores just, you know, supermarkets are just closing down. So a lot of these things are going to be happening, right? Which brings us to commercial property as well. For example, commercial property with this new move of work from home more remote working situation. uh, At first, the companies try to resist and try to get everybody back in. And then, you know, employees just rebel a little bit. And because they rebel, you know, and, you know, there's a new way of working, these companies decide, okay, one, they're still being kind of productive. They seem to be, you know, relatively same, same level of production. They're still doing, especially for knowledge worker, engineers, service sector stuff, you know, software engineer, you know, designers, you know, service sector items, customer service folks. They're saying, okay, since you're still being as productive as you used to be, well, then there's no need for you to come back in the office. You seem like you're doing well. What that does is that the company also realized that they are saving money by not having to pay all this money in you know, commercial office spaces. So the commercial office space is collapsing as well. Because one, a couple of things, two, two things are happening. One, the business are not renting this place because it's a little bit more cost effective to have people work remotely. And two, again. As interest rates rise, these commercial real estate, these commercial real estate, the mortgages on these are variable rates. So as interest rates rise, these rates rise as well. And so that's what we're seeing happening in, in, in terms of the entire uh, seg- sector in terms of the the economic crisis. These are where this is where it's playing out currently. So we're playing out currently, and by looking at that, we must always realize that even though it's playing out here, just like in 2001, just like in 2008, it will find its way to the aviation uh, sector as well. It will find its way there. Now, we're a little bit more regulated and a little bit more, you know, funding is available to us in the aviation space, particularly the airline segment, you know, the general aviation folks generally fend for themselves uh, in a sense. But funding is available there. But the, the good thing is, if funding is available for airlines, then it kind of—I hate to use the term—trickle down. It kind of work its way down to the general aviation sector as well, especially for flight schools and so on, because they're 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 a big supplier of pilots and and so on to these the, the airlines. So one of the things that we see there with 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 all this is that it slows the uh you know the GDP. So it slows GDP and there's rising inflation, inflation may, the rate of, of of rise may be slowing, but the inflation is still rising along with high employ- unemployment. These are some key things that we're seeing there. And that's very, very important to think about. So I'll turn over to Daniel. Danny, any thoughts on this?
1: Thanks, Rolando. Yeah. So the, I, this week I came across um, some, some news regarding bank, uh, the banking crisis that... Uh, just caught, caught a thought in my mind. Um, I saw Jamie Dimon say that um, short selling of banks should be banned and those who do it should be prosecuted. And I kind of had this thought whereby uh, what happens uh, uh, what happens if banks uh, are short sold uh, every time like right now at yeah, SBB first bank um, not sure which uh, the next bank to fail um, but uh, do you think this is going to affect um, the aviation industry or other sectors um, in the job market?
0: Hey, absolutely. Let me just say this. Short sellers provide a vital role in a free market economy. They are absolutely vital. There was this one uh, scandal about this, This can't remember their name right now, this Indian company. These guys were by all intents and purposes, were not being upfront. They were pretty much being fraudulent. Uh, the whole and it's short sellers that figure this out. This whole thing about Bed Bath and Beyond, the company is not profitable. It is the short sellers that figure this out, right? So what short selling is, is uh, a set of investors. Generally, it's hedge funds, right? The riskiest, of the riskiest investors. Uh, th- what they do, they look at a company, look at their books, and they look at their stock price. And they say, this company does not worth this stock price. And they predict that a company will fall. Now, what they do is buy the stock. And short selling is literally, I buy the stock at whatever it is. I sell it. I, I, you go and you sell something you don't have. And how you do that, I see the stock and I'm going to sell it. I don't have it. I don't own it, but I sell it. What I do is, in essence, what happens is that if the brokerage firm has the stock, I buy this, I borrow the stock from them, sell the stock, right? At a higher, say say it's $100. I sell the stock, but I expect the stock to go to $10. So I sell the stock, but I borrowed it from the brokerage firm. The brokerage firm may say, okay, you have a call. You mean, you have a margin call or something. It means that they're going to say, they put a margin on, you're going to have to pay them some fee for borrowing their stock, right? Not the margin, sorry. Margin when you borrow money to buy stock, but they're going to charge you a fee. So they charge you a fee to buy, it may be, say, $5. So you buy the stock at $100, you sell it. You predict based on your intricate research, and these folks are good. These guys in Gallagher, they're very good. If the hedge funds are, if short sellers are swarming around a business, they smell the proverbial blood. And they know that this business is going to collapse anyway. And the price that it's going for is not good. It's not a good price right? And so they buy the stock, they they borrow the stock, they sell it, right? When they sell the stock for a hundred, what they then do is wait for the business to to, to collapse or wait for the stock price to collapse because they expect it will. Now, some hedge funds actively go out there and try to make the price fall, right? Uh, Like some of them, they have a few that, a few that does it nefariously. They try to, you know, bad publicity and all that good stuff about the stock or the company. But a few of them who are very good just put out articles and tell you why they think the stock is bad, why the company is not doing well. Now the short sellers, they when they sold the stock that they don't have, they bought and sell it. When the stock falls, say it falls to ten dollars, they buy back the stock and give it back to the person they borrowed it from. They buy it back and give it back to the broker. And then when they give back to give back to the broker, their spread is ninety dollars. They made ninety dollars, and then the broker said, "You owe me ten dollars, or five dollars, or ten dollars, or whatever." So they made eighty dollars. They made um, they made eighty dollars on the transaction. That's what short selling is. Now, outside of the short selling itself, short sellers play a vital role because short sellers allow the market to see where companies are being disingenuous, sometimes fraudulent, uh, trying to trick the public. They sh- they show them up because their job is to capitalize on this misinformation, so to speak, just to quote unquote misinformation of, about this product, about the stock, about the company, right? So that's what they they do, and they play a vital role. So you might be piling into a stock like Bed Bath and Beyond, oh the Reddit traders and the short squeeze, but eventually that stock is gonna collapse. The short sellers are gonna win in the end. The retail sellers, re- retailers are gonna lose. Our uh, buyers, the retail traders are gonna lose because they know the company's gonna collapse. They know the company's gonna collapse, right? Because they've done their due diligence, they've done their work, and they, have, they have PhDs in quants in there looking at this stuff, right? So us as simple retail traders can't, can't really help. Now, how does this affect the aviation industry? If right now, American Airlines looks like it's about to collapse, the stock price is high, and I can tell you, a lot of people short these stocks every time, Right? But if American Airlines look like it's about to collapse, or Spirit Airlines look like it's about to collapse, and the stock price is trading order of magnitude above where it's gonna where it should be, you can bet short sellers are in there. Okay? That's the same thing for banks. The banks look at these companies, these the, the short sellers rather look at these banks and say, You're not worth this. Your balance sheet is bad. You have you are generally, you're quite literally um, insolvent. You cannot keep running this bank. You're gonna collapse. So what the short sellers do, they buy borrow the stock and sell it. And when the bank collapses, they buy it back and give it back to who they borrowed it from and then they make a tidy profit. So in in seeking profit, the short sellers provide a vital role in highlighting and showing where the gaps gaps are in the information people, regular traders are getting in the market. Right? And that goes for banks, so JP Morgan, uh, CEO Jamie Dimon coming on and say, we should ban them. First of all, that's not in line with the, you know, the, you know, the free market nature of this country or should be free market nature of this country that doesn't align, right? It doesn't align. And so they want to do that because they know that all these banks, all the banks are insolvent because they all have the same balance sheet, just that some banks are just too big to fail. And so they will not. So if you keep your money in the big four, then you're fine because they're not going to be allowed to fail. The taxpayers is going to bail them out through, you know, whatever the Federal Reserve does, right? Either do it through taxes or they do it through inflation. It's going to happen. So that's what's happening there. As for the aviation industry, the same thing can happen. The short sellers are looking in on these companies and it's happened in the past, right? The short sellers are looking at these companies because they make a profit by accurately guessing, by accurately Predicting, rather, when a company airline, even an airline is going to collapse and then profiting off the fall. Right. That's your job. You hate them, like them for what they do. But they do provide a vital vital role in the market. Right. They provide a vital money. It's all a part of the ecosystem. And every animal in this ecosystem, to use that word, has a vital role to play and trying to lock them out is not going to help. Because it's going to mean that more people are going to get hurt in the long run, thinking that the market is this stock or this company or this sector is really good when it's not. When short sellers are the canary in the coal mine, they'll let you know what's happening. Hopefully that can answer your question here, Danny.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense.
0: So, you know, one of the things that, you know, that we find pretty, pretty strange or find pretty interesting is that they are calling this a banking crisis. It is not. It's an economic crisis. Uh, the banks, the financial sector, has interwoven itself so much into the the fabric of the economy that uh, a banking crisis is quite literally a financial crisis. And we saw that in two thousand and eight as well, and we saw that in in some of that as well in the nineties. We saw some of that in the eighties. We saw some of that. Uh, well, not in the '80s that much, but some of that in 2000, some of that in 2008. So, the banking crisis is the financial crisis. It's just that the banks are the ones that are getting hit. It's one of the one of the one one of the sectors that are getting hit first because their balance sheets are. Well, when we say balance sheet, we talked about that before. They have uh, assets on their balance sheets that is not valued liability, meaning they're taking money. Those are liability because you when you put your money in the bank, it's a loan. All right. And something I would want our, our, our listeners to understand, your money in the bank is not yours. I, I, don't, I don't think people really understand that. That's why you get interest on your bank, your, your account. It's not yours. It's a loan to the bank, right? The bank. Sometimes you go to the bank. Interest, I know people in UK have complained about this. They go to the bank, they pull their money out. They're asking a bunch of questions, why you need the money. The, the, the moment you put your money, deposit money, it's not your money. It belongs to the bank. That's where you get interest rates. You may not like the rate of interest, but it's not your money. You loan it to the bank. And you can't lend it just that you can't lend something to somebody and have possession over it. But just how this bank system is set up, it's fractional reserve or no fractional reserve right now and no reserve requirement right now. You can go in there and say, okay, the money's on deposit, but you can still get the money. That's just how it operates. But in essence, technically legally he's not your money. They just still allow you to get the money through. They have the mechanism that they can use to get the money. So that's important to think about that. This crisis is a, a, a financial crisis, not really just a bank crisis. So it's a misnomer, it's a misnomer. It's not just a banking crisis. And so we will start seeing the effects of some of those early stages uh, of, of challenges in the aviation space. And I know we talked about this before the aviation space Aviation is robust, and we kind of retired the word fragile, but it's robust. But it's sensitive. It's also kind of protected. It's kind of protected, right? But then again, because it's so protected, because it's so dependent on government support from time to time, then there's sometimes, you know, there's sometimes pressure to do things that may not be in your own best interest. For example, um, we talked once at one point about airlines need to, you know, make certain seats available for certain folks. Okay, we talk about that in one podcast, but we put out a digest this week that talked really about how the administration wants airlines to pay for hotels, right? Pay for hotels if the, if, if, your, if your flight is a massive amount of delay or cancellation. Now, we're not in favor of saying again, we it in the article, we're not in favor of cancellations and delays. We're not. We want people to get the best possible service. It sounds good to say if your flight is canceled, then you will need to be compensated. And the airlines, because they don't want to compensate, you don't want to keep as much as their money, they'll do their very best not to have cancellation and massive delays. Sounds very good. What could possibly go wrong? Okay, the first main thing is that a lot of factors that goes into and this is all related to the economic challenges. A lot of the factors that goes into cancellation has nothing to do with airlines. Two factors main that comes to mind is one, weather. The airline cannot con- control weather. That's the first thing, right? And so, because the FAA, you know, not just the FAA, but profitability dictates that safety needs to come first. Okay, we're gonna go ahead and not fly. We're gonna cancel, we're gonna delay, we're gonna reroute, we're gonna do all what we can do. Okay, good. The next thing is the FAA itself, they have currently, and they're trying to work through currently uh, air traffic control uh, controller shortages. And so if there are shortages, then there are air traffic control delays, right? As a pilot, when you try to do an IFR flight, some of the things they always say to look at in the no times is ARTC delays. Right. You want to look at those to see what kind of delays you can expect for your IFR uh, flight plan or your routing or whatever. And that's what the airlines get into sometimes where because of shortages, they might have to deal with delays that has nothing to do with the airlines. They're just operating. So on one hand, you have increased costs to the airlines for compensating others for missing a flight or canceling a flight or delaying a flight. On the other hand, some of these factors are not in the hands of the airlines. What does that mean? The airlines, in order to compensate for the factors they cannot control, they're going to increase prices. And if they increase prices, then either less people travel, which drive down revenues in a bit, or you may have smaller airlines, regional airlines, probably going out of business and they get consolidated into even larger and larger airlines, which probably may make the price go up and the quality of service go down. Okay, so it may seem good at first, but it may not be that good. Now, couple that with what's happened in the market. You're literally. You know, you're literally beaten down an industry that's already getting a lot of pressure from the economy, from all the other things. Right. But the airline, the argument from from lawmakers and from from the administration is that you took taxpayer money. I think it's twenty six billion of it. Right. You took taxpayer money. Right. During the pandemic during the lockdowns, you took taxpayer money, so it's time to give a taxpayer back or what is due to them. Right. And that's one of the things that we talked about even with the even with the cryptocurrencies. They decide to have the airlines, you know, adopt this stuff, then it's gonna be difficult for them to 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 uh, to, to say no because, you know, they're there, they've taken the money and now they have to it's pay the Piper. So that's very, very important to think about as you go forward with this stuff. You have to think about uh, the the economy itself and some of these other things that are happening with the airlines as they go through this kind of challenge with these regulations, these mandate, these rulings on them. And some of these things are not actually allowed, They're just rulings that may come down from the FAA or from the administration executive branch itself that wants them to do certain things. So you have to think about that. So Danny, I want to hear your thoughts on, on those.
1: Yeah, I did have some um, question on uh, the compensation that the airlines are expected to give in case uh, the passengers miss their flights because of overbooking or any fault that the airline might have. Um, so would be would the compensation be basically um, a refund or is it just being compensated for the wastage of time or let's say... Uh, would it involve a hotel payment, or and more than that? Uh, because I, well, from my from my point of view, I think a refund um, would basically. I don't think that would be like a compensation. That would just be here's your money back. Or uh, another solution would just be let me roll over your uh, your booking to the next flight, uh, which would uh, basically solve the problem. Even though it has inconvenienced to passenger, they will still get to their destination. Um. So, um, is the compensation basically uh, a refund or is it just more than that? And um, just I'm just asking this in order to see if um, the airline is actually going to go, gonna go uh, to more than the expense of what the um, passenger paid for in order to uh, compensate for that issue.
0: You know, that's a very good question. So, to take the first part of your question, will it be where they're just like, "Okay, here's a credit for your next flight, or here you go, you can fly. Uh, it goes towards your travel points, or here you go, is a credit you know credit to fly, or you know you fly on the next flight free, or they give you extra flight. So if they just roll over your flight, there's some loss there because prices are always changing, so they might lose some money there. But for the most part, you're not losing anything because apart from their business, they do lose money because of the cancellation. But the customer gets what they need. The customer gets inconvenience, obviously. But for the most part, the airlines don't really outlay excess cost. The excess cost might be in lost revenue today. They may need to catch up tomorrow. They need to be. They need to run rescheduling uh, rescheduling processes. They're going to lose some money there. The problem is, is that this ruling, proposed ruling, is saying that the airlines will need to pay for a hotel, okay, and probably other travel expenses. And, and I'm, I'm presuming, and here I'm speculating, there's a speculation, this got to be on top of giving them their money back. Because it wouldn't make sense if you said, okay, you go, and you don't want to fly with us no more. You want your money back. They give them money back, but they'll put them in a the hotel and all that good stuff. I don't think that's going to really work. It may work a little bit, and, and customers may think they like it, but eventually prices are going to skyrocket because airlines are going to have to make uh, use quants. like It's almost going to be like an insurance company where they're going to have to do some serious calculations and, and and statistics to figure out how much of these people are going to be cancer how much of them we're we going to have to provide a hotel for and so on so to answer your question and to get back to it in a really quick way yes the ruling is saying from what i understand that they're going to have to provide the hotel and may have to provide travel like car rental car they have to travel back and forth or shuttle or whatever the case may be so it seemed like that's the case so there's going to actually be extra outlay in terms of uh, payments cost to the airlines itself.
1: Absolutely. Now I understand. Yeah, that's going to be a lot more costly um, on the airline side, and it seems quite unrealistic. Uh, Thanks for explaining that, Orlando.
0: Yeah, sure. So so, 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 so that's what we're seeing there. Uh, And again, guys, again, most importantly, just remember that no matter what we talk about in this podcast, we're always, you always, even though we don't explicitly say it, relate it back to the aviation space. And just to kind of talk a little bit more about the economic crisis, everything you're seeing happening out there is going to affect the aviation space. Uh, How? How, right? So let's do a quick overview of, of how this will affect the aviation space, right? Individuals. If individuals are not earning, they don't have jobs, right they're losing jobs there for and i i believe that for the firms that have been laying off particularly in tech right now if they're laying off they're on their third round of layoff right now if they're laying off this heavily where is all this money coming from for leisure travel right we know that business travel has, has hit the floor since the pandemic and the lockdowns it has hit the floor right because people are doing more uh you know video conferencing right and so executives are doing a lot more video conferencing Right. So if they're dependent on the leisure traveler, the regular consumer, uh, the business, con- the business to consumer travelers, which is the regular travelers, vacation, the trips here, the possibly the uh, the entrepreneur who's just a, you know, two people working with them, they travel for business. they're just, You know, they're not dealing with the corporate, the corporate accounts as much. They're there, but they're not as much as they used to be. If people are losing jobs. Business are going out of business, right? Where is this revenue coming from? How are they going to be doing business? How are they going to be keeping up with it? The prices have to go up. And if the prices go up, then it feeds on itself, right? Prices go up, business can't afford it. Customers can't afford it because they're not working as much. They can't take vacations. They can't take trips as much. Then those prices go up. Then because those prices go up even more, the people can't afford it even more. And so there's there's a challenge. And then compound that with these rules on these airlines, you're going to have challenges. You're going to have some serious challenges. And so that's one way with this affect the, the business and, and affects the individual. The individual, talk about that just now, the individuals are, are, individuals are unable to travel because they just don't have the revenue. They don't have the money to travel as much. People are still traveling. Currently, over the past year and a half, I believe that people are still doing what they do. It's because they're going into more debt to do it. The credit card, the credit card debt is increasing, right? Because and the saving rate is falling. So saving rates are falling, and credit cards are increasing. And what that signifies to me indicates to me is that the the uh, the people are running out of actual money. Whether you want to say it's a stimulus check money is running out. I don't think stimulus check money is all that well stimulus check was one thing people used to get unemployment uh, they were getting unemployment from state and federal as well so some money may have been there but that probably ran out long ago but people had savings and the savings are falling they I think the are at the at level uh, maybe at or beyond what 2008 level was right when during the crisis so the, the last recession uh, great recession and so People are running out of money, so they're taking on more debt in order to finance the lifestyle that they're used to. Now, one of the things that we are not seeing is that people are not cutting back just yet. Eventually, they will. When it gets really tough, they will. But people are not cutting back. They're going into debt, right? Is that a good thing? Interest rates are rising. All credit cards, to my knowledge, every single one are variable interest rates. So those rates are rising. So if you have a balance, a rotating balance, a revolving balance, that's going to be rising, right? Constantly, constantly interest rate rise. So people are going to become less and less and less able to borrow uh, on a credit card to travel and do all these things right so a lot of these things are going to affect as we have challenges with the hospitality hospitality industry kind of bounced back because it was you know a lot of people are traveling trying to binge travel over the last two years since the pandemic kind of everything kind of opened back up but what's going to happen is that people are going to have no money to travel in leisure as much because there's so much you can so much debt you can take on right till the banks say we're not giving anymore in fact what's really happening and it's all related back to aviation because if you're not if you don't have money you know what they call disposable income and if i could inch check my own personal thoughts on disposable income here i don't think any income is disposable right every income is money that can be used for something productive but disposable income i think that's defined as income after taxes so everything after taxes is disposable income i think that's what it means uh if i could be wrong someone could correct me here in the comments so that's falling in disposable income is falling, so leisure, all that stuff is going down. Even for, for maybe for flight training, for flight training is a little bit different because people can actually still get student kind of loans to cover those things because the prospect of being in the airlines one thing, but if airlines are shrinking down, the prospect may slow. There's a lot of things that happen in there that you have to think about. that's that's really really important. So again, individuals are not earning as much. They're dipping more. They've they've drained a lot of them have drained their savings, and a lot uh, are, are now. Uh, you know, taking on debt to keep up that lifestyle, but eventually it's just gonna collapse because the banks are not giving any money on there. And what we're seeing with the banks as we talk about this, as I was about to say, is that the banks, you see a reduction in money supply. Now you hear people talking about, oh, the money supply is shrinking why well the federal reserve is raising interest and in how they raise interest in by pulling money out of the the economy right that's how they kind of raise interest. they're not buying as much of the the, the bonds this is another topic for another time because it kind of can get complex a little bit in terms of how the bond prices work how yields work how the federal reserve through the open market get into the market and all that stuff so we can talk about it another time but what's happened with the banks is that banks are not lending money as much no more Remember, we talked about this before, about fiduciary media in this podcast, in another episode. Fiduciary media is money that the bank lends out. The bank lends money, so it becomes money. So if the bank lends, you give you a credit card with $10,000 on it, it becomes money because you can spend it, right? When you pay the bank back the debt, then the bank does do swap a and it disappears. The money is gone, vanish, right? But the bank, the bank earns its interest, and it makes some money. Right? So it's kind of complicated to explain, but it, it's kind of Houdini magic. We'll talk about it in another podcast. But what's happened, the bank is not lending out as much, so there's less money in the market. That always, always signifies, to my knowledge so far, going back 150 years, uh, 100 years or so, that always signifies a recession. And based on what we're seeing, the levels of, of, of uh, fall in the money supply from the bank, fiduciary media, a signal, a depression. So there's a lot of tough things to come along um, that that we need to be thinking about, right? So Daniel, let me hear your thoughts about that part of it in terms of, you know, what this means for people who are sticking on all this debt and, and so on, and, and how long they can sustain this thing until it, it get really get really tough to do that.
1: Yeah, I'm quite curious about... Um how pilots or other staff in aviation um, are handling the situation. Um, from my understanding, I think uh, pilots um, from a couple of airlines, I think Southwest right now, uh, the pilots uh, union for Southwest Airlines say its members have uh, voted to authorize a strike because they're not being compensated per their contract. Uh, do you think, um, and I, I've been seeing, this over the past few months, I've seen the pilot salary go up significantly, and that's because uh, probably uh, the um, the pilot shortage um, has uh, gone to a little bit more extreme situation. But uh, and you know, uh, putting that higher salary is probably going to attract more pilots. But do you think the salary increased enough? Or, or um and the other question would be. Uh, do you think pilots or other people in a, working in the aviation industry are going to be affected immensely uh, moving forward in, in, in a couple of months or years um, when this economic crisis is getting worse?
0: Now, let, let's take that first. I think it's a very, very, very important question, my friend. So, increase salaries. Now, I know the labor unions have always been increasing i've uh, been lobbying for greater salary negotiating greater salary for their members right we'll talk a little bit more about labor unions as well and you know not all things about labor unions are the best because labor unions sometimes make it so difficult for others to join a particular group uh, you know if you're on the inside to get raised pay if you're not in it's hard to get in but we'll talk about that another time as for the pay increases part of that is the labor unions negotiating to compensate for what they're seeing in the inflation on the inflation side of things. And you know, they've been always doing it, they're always looking for more pay and more benefit for their members. That's their job. That's what they do, right? For the members, not everybody else in the economy, in the in the sector, for their members. So that's what they do. That's their job. They care to their members. Right? However, you've seen throughout the, I believe, just after the pandemic, when the lockdowns, things are opening up, you notice that there was a rise in the bonuses for regional airlines. They were paying them more money. They were giving them bonuses. That's just to attract new pilots. Because what tends to happen, tend to happen in the pandemic, they, the airlines have opportunity to furlough, and early retire some of the older folks. Because if you think about it, the older folks are the ones that makes the most money. These guys can make up to two, three, four. You know, if you're expat in China, from what I heard, you can make up five hundred thousand dollars a year, right? As a seasoned pilot flying like a triple you know, seven, right? So they are in the hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in, in some of these senior folks with benefits and it's expensive, right? So the airlines took time to pay them off, early retire them, but then create a gap in the employment, right? Because it takes about three years or so for you go from zero to hero, you know, you know you get your ATP and go to the regionals. So it takes a while. So if you, if you say, for example, you early retire, you say 2000 people. You're not gonna get that 2,000 people right away. The regular pipeline is a regular pipeline. This 2,000 people is gonna slowly come on in over the next three years to kind of fill it back in. If you if you increase the output at the flight school level, that's one of the reasons why you see airlines, you know, airlines like uh, United doing their their Aviate program. I think so, somebody, as I think Spirit, JetBlue partnered with another school. American you know, Airlines always partnered with schools on this stuff to get uh, their pilots. So the first thing is that. They were trying to attract more pilots. Eventually, once it kind of stabilized, that's gonna be gone. They're not gonna you know, spend all this money, especially with economic challenges. So the pay increases on the regional side, the part that's not unionized, is just a way of attracting folks. The other side is the union side, unionized side, where the pilots, for example, Southwest, we've seen these Southwest uh, airlines pilot and crew, they've been they've been, you know, you know, trying to do some strikes and doing some stuff for some time, I think for about a year and a half now. The challenge is that. Their raises are more substantial. So on the regional side, they can say, we're giving you a bonus. Or the pay is this. And they can raise the pay, slightly slacking it off a little bit, not pay as much, hold it off a little bit. They have more leeway because they're not unionized. When Southwest and the majors and other major airlines, when they raise the, the benefits and so on, that's how it's permanent. Right? They can't just drop backtrack on it because, you know. You know they can't do anything funny because that side in the union is gonna hold them their foot to the fire. So they're a little bit more hesitant to do that kind of stuff. So you'll see some of that stuff happening. So you will definitely see that now. The as airlines do this stuff, if they're having a hard time, you know, raising pay and all this stuff, it can be one of two things. It can be one they're not gonna be employing a lot of pilots because they're not flying as much, or if the market is still moving forward and the airline industry is still growing but it's growing in a way that airlines are finding it easier to cut costs elsewhere, then it would not affect the flight schools. It wouldn't affect the rest of aviation, right? Now, it's particularly the flight school. Now, if if it's the other way where they're having challenges, they're not able to grow as much, they're not able to because of all these rules and all the price increases and all these other things, it may affect flight schools. Right. So the flight schools that are intricately connected with their partners uh, are going to be able to do a little bit better. Now, when I say intricately, because it seems as if every flight school I've seen is for the most part, not every, but, but a lot of them, you know, 80 percent of them are connected to some kind of you know, airline partnership. It's varying degrees of partnership. So it will be affected in a good way if airlines just are, are still able to, to squeeze out cost and they're very good at squeezing our cost and primarily in the equipment they use, right? So they're, they're still able to squeeze out costs and still able to grow forward. We still have the the the, the shortages and we still pilot shortages and we're still going to have flight school being able to take uh, benefit of that. The other thing is that if the airlines are not able to do to, to that kind of cost cutting and are not able to grow and be able to move forward like how they used to, and uh, the regular uh, you know, attrition rate, I mean, people are just leaving or people are retiring, flight school can always fill that. Uh, but if they're not going for it, then it's not going to be as booming as it, it it could be, right? One thing to note here that I don't believe the pilot shortage in any event. The pilot shortage is not going anywhere because every time there's a crisis, and the airlines have to let go of people, they generally don't take all of them back, and that's further exacerbate the pilot shortage. People don't. Oh, things are bad. I'm not going to. I'm not going to start my training, and because it's three years, if you don't start the training now, then there's a lag. Right. So if you started, OK, the economy is coming back better two years from now, then you just put that lag again three years in, uh, three years forward. So that's how I think it would affect the, the general aviation. And that's what I think actually about price increases and, and pay increases for the airlines. The airlines would rather not increase any pay and try to cut costs elsewhere. Um, uh, try to cut costs elsewhere and not increase pay. Right. Because pay is their biggest sink, probably the largest thing item outside of probably fuel. Right. And so that's one of the things that, that I think. Right.
1: Thanks for explaining that, Orlando. Yeah, I think that uh, that definitely makes sense. Um, I'm looking forward to see what unfolds uh, in, the, in the coming months and how the airlines are gonna handle this because um, things are getting a lot more tighter and uh, um, yeah, it's just uh, a little bit, probably a lot more confusing for the pilots um, or uh, people working in these industries.
0: Yeah, I think so too, because a lot of folks don't, study economics and in market condition why should they there are people who do that stuff right this is not the renaissance era <laughs> it's not a renaissance where is a jack of all and know everything people are specialists and so they don't spend time doing that stuff right they don't spend time doing that stuff but it's always good to keep yourself uh, informed now here's the thing we talk a lot about looking forward in essence because we want to talk about looking for what things look like moving forward Right, And we kind of talk about that. We talk about what's expected as this, this thing unfolds. We talk about how aviation uh, airlines will have to kind of shrink down, maybe shrink down based on what's going on with, with the recession, with the crisis, and what's going on with regulations, right? Um, rest assured, if, if airlines try to increase prices or prices are high and people are not comfortable, the airlines are gonna be blamed. Even though there's a massive economic challenges happening, if flight schools and part 135 operators Charter folks try to rate prices, they're going to be blamed for price gouging. They're going to be blamed for being the bad guy and the bad gals. But the challenge is, if you look at it, it's not their fault. They're just trying to survive. Okay, and we're just going to make that very clear. These people are just trying to survive. These businesses are just trying to survive, right? So they're going to be scapegoated when the real problem is inflation, banking challenges, bank taking on you know risky investment, and they're paying the price. And then, you know, fingers are always going to be pointed at the businesses right? When the real thing should be pointing at the real cause of the recession, right? So that's one thing that we, you know, we should think about. In terms of how long this thing will last, oh, we don't know. But I suspect that the rest of this decade is going to be a challenging one in terms of for inflation. It may be a lull in the inflation. We talked about this before in the 70s. There was a point in the 70s where inflation started coming down, right? But then by the early 80s, that thing skyrocketed like what? It was crazy. And so, we expect this thing to ebb and flow throughout the entire decade, and just, rest, just just know though, know that not because there's a recession or a depression, business there are businesses that will still will be doing good. Life goes on, right? Right? It's not the end of the world. Business will continue to go on. It's how you position yourself as an individual and as a business will make will will determine whether you flourish or perish or just in the middle just getting along right so that's going to be very 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 important so individuals needs to know what's happening need to be prepared in terms of you know how to deal with savings taking on less debt because debt is going to be increasing and interest rates are going to have problems there you know trying to save as much uh businesses are always going to be trying to cut costs you know i you know i may say something here but i'm in no way to say advise large corporations how to run their business. They have thousands and thousands of people who deal with that stuff. For the small folks running a flight school, I suggest do not take on any more debt, okay? Stay away from debt, stay away from credit, okay? And build up reserves, right? And put that reserve into items that can be actually liquidated later on at the value that you got it at because of inflation. So that's what our recommendation is, but we expect that this is gonna continue for some time. It's gonna be tough, but those who are paying attention, Those who are vigilant, those who are staying smart, those who are creative will make it through. And in fact, will be even more prosperous at the end. There's nothing like a good adversity to make strong men and women and businesses better in the end when they come out of those adversities. All right, that's all we got for you today, guys. Thank you for listening in. Really appreciate you joining us as usual. Please. Leave us your thoughts in the comment, wherever you listen to our podcast. We're on every podcast platform. Leave us your thought as we continue to learn and grow in putting together a podcast for you guys. Bye-bye now.
1: Bye.